Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. There's a purpose to prophecy, and we lose so much when we just discard prophecy altogether out of our modern-day churches. An important thing to understand is that prophecy is not prediction. There's a big difference between the two. Uh, the Bible is not making predictions like Nostradamus or you know some of these other uh, these so-called prophets in the past. All of those guys were wrong in some form or fashion, uh, but biblical prophecy is 100% accurate. Okay, always 100% accurate. And even in the Old Testament, we see that if a prophet proclaimed something and it did not come true, that that person was a false prophet. And it's no different today in, in the, the age of grace. If, if uh, we are going to proclaim the truth, we want to make sure that it's 100% accurate. And that's why we should take great care in how we teach the Word of God and how we uh, interpret the Word of God. But also, we should know that should really uh, give us um, assurance and encourage us that when the Bible says something's going to happen, it will happen. So we're going to talk about a lot of those prophecies over the next several weeks. And next week, we've got a special week in store for you as well. We're going to do some music, and then I'm going to uh, try to... What, what was it? Are you going to let me know when I need to switch? Oh, sure. Yeah. You, um, you should be able to tell whenever when I'm talking. Okay. So, um, and you should all only have to hit the space bar. So... Yeah, so we're laid back today, folks. I, I've got to be able to communicate with her because I just kind of threw her in this. So um, in the story of all human history, I was thinking about this yesterday. People make a big deal these days out of spoilers. But uh, in the story of all of human history, prophecies are spoilers from God's perspective. It's like him telling us ahead of time uh, before the season finale what's going to take place. So another way to describe it is that prophecy is history that just hasn't happened yet. Prophecy is history that just hasn't happened yet. Now I want you to consider this. Now this should be on there. Um, out of 2,500 biblical prophecies, it said that 2,000 of them have been fulfilled to perfection, and only 500 have yet to be fulfilled. It's the next one, I'm sorry. So, so 2,000 of the prophecies in Scripture have been fulfilled to perfection, and 500 have yet to be fulfilled. I see that one there. It's okay. I don't think I did that one. Um, I did one after the scripture. Is it the scripture, John 14? That's, what That's fine. Leave it there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a principle embedded in prophecy. And the principle is that it's, it encourages our faith. It gives us, uh, it bolsters our faith that we serve a sovereign God who is not able to be tricked, who is not able to be defeated. He never changes. He is, he is the God who never changes. And that's important, really important for us to really uh, get a hold of. So in John 14, 29, Jesus says, now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. Now, how much more clear do you get than that? Jesus is saying, I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. It bolsters our faith. 
around 27% of Scripture is prophetic in nature. Uh, Basically, one-third of your Bible is prophecy. One-third of your Bible is prophecy. And out of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the return of Jesus, all right? So out of 216 chapters, there are 318 references to the return of Jesus. And if you were to throw all uh, throw out all the verses concerning the second coming, you'd have to throw out one out of every 30 verses. Do you understand that? So you just have to toss out one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament if you were trying to get rid of all prophecy in the Bible. There's a reason I'm telling you this. You'd also have to skip 23 of the 27 New Testament books that mention the second coming of Christ. 23 of the 27 books mention the second coming of Christ. So if you were to try to avoid all of the prophecy concerning the return of Christ, you'd have to get rid of 23 of those books. So since uh, Christmas is right around the corner, think about this. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning the birth of Jesus, every prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus, there are eight concerning his second coming, his his return as the king of kings uh, in glory, okay? So here's the deal. When we study prophecy, each and every one of us are faced with a question concerning how we live our lives. And here's the question. What matters most to you, your plans or God's plans? So when you consider this sovereign God who's in control of everything and he's taking humanity in a direction and it's all going to culminate and be fulfilled in this glorious, epic, amazing revelation to all of humanity, all of these fallen spiritual beings destroyed and 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 what's left after he wipes away all evil will be this eternal state of just beauty and light and love and living dwelling with him, Emmanuel, God with us. So when you consider that and you think about your present day life, you're faced with this question, am I headed in the right direction? Is this something that I'm giving enough priority in my life? So what matters most to you, your plans or God's plans? So we often get so focused on our own well-being that we take very little time to think about God's plan for humanity, God's plan for Israel, God's plan for the body of Christ, and how do each and every one of us fit into his plans? Because as we submit to him, we can be used of him. But if we don't submit to him, if we live our lives and we pay no attention to him and we do not give him a place in our lives, then we can't be used of him. It's, it's real simple that when we submit to him and give our lives to him, he does stuff. And when we don't, he doesn't do stuff through us, okay? So by extension, our pastors and churches, they, in, in our modern day American church, they rarely think about or talk about God's plans, our doctrine, our theology. It's all kind of focused on this kind of a, uh, you know, my blessing. What can I get out of this? It's all about my life and my desires and my hopes and my dreams. And and they try to use scripture to try to bolster our own personal hopes and dreams and desires. But God's word is not about your hopes and dreams and desires. God's word is about his plan and how you fit into his plan. 
What is he doing? Get involved in that, okay? And because of this attitude, because the churches want the big numbers, right? And they don't want to be uh, controversial. They want full offering plates. Most churches these days steer clear of one-third of the whole of Scripture because they don't teach prophecy at all. Well, why would that be the case? Well, first of all, some say it's too hard to understand, all right? Some say it's too hard to understand. Yeah. There are horns, like 10 horns and horns being broke off and multiple heads and feet of bronze and clay and typology and symbolism. And while these things are often difficult to understand, God gave them to us for a reason. And it's our responsibility to do our best to understand and to study to show ourselves approved. So just because it may be difficult in our study doesn't mean that we don't give it the time that's necessary to understand it. Number two, some say it's too easy to get caught up in. Uh, Why should we dwell on end-time prophecy? What's the point? Don't we have bigger things to worry about? That's kind of the questions that are asked. And the point is that while we serve him daily and we share the gospel, the good news of grace, we should remember that we are to be watchful for his imminent return and be mindful that it could happen at any moment. That, that, that at any point in time, uh, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, he could return to take his church. And then eventually, of course, the clock starts again for uh, his plan to redeem Israel. Number three, some say it's a selfish, escapist mentality, content to let the world burn while the Christians escape to heaven with Jesus. Well, look, we're not, Christians aren't the one who said the world was going to burn. That was God, okay? The, the Word of God tells us that the wickedness in the world is, is choosing to rebel against God. They love the darkness and they hate the light. And so we pray for the people uh, around us, the people that we have influence uh, in their lives. We pray for them and, and it, is, it breaks our heart. It's tragic to think about uh, those who would be lost. So the thing is, we should understand that his return is imminent so that it would uh, push us forward in our sharing the gospel of these people who are currently living in rejection. But let me ask you a question. Did Noah have a selfish escapist mentality when he obeyed God and he built the ark? Uh, God's word tells us that he preached to the people and they simply rejected uh, the gospel that he was preaching, okay? They came to their destruction because they rejected Christ and they didn't listen to the message that Noah was preaching. On the contrary, understanding God's prophetic plan for us leads us to a passion for sharing the gospel and an encouragement to live holy lives set apart for the glory of God. And as I said, again, we need to pray for those around us, friends and family members and coworkers, those we love that are lost. Never give up on them. Always uh, do the work of an evangelist. Pray for them and do whatever you can to share the gospel with them and leave it in the Lord's hands. But plant those seeds and let him water. All right. Uh, Number four, some say it's just too scary. You're talking about the end of days broken seals and blood up to horses' bridles and bowls poured out in judgment. And, uh, and 
yes, it can come across as a little scary for those who don't know Jesus. I mean, it, it's a, it, it would be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a righteous and just God if you are an unrighteous and unjust person. But the beautiful thing is that God sent his son and, and he offers us his grace that we can just accept him and the finished work on the cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And if we'll do that, it doesn't matter what we've done. He'll wipe the slate clean and we can love him and serve him and live with him eternally. And that's not scary at all. That is a hopeful, joyful thing. But again, the Bible tells us that the wickedness of the fallen human rebels, those who choose to spit in God's face, as well as the fallen spiritual rebels, they will be judged by our righteous Lord. And and let's just be honest for a second, because, you know, I was young once too, and the idea of Jesus coming soon can be scary to people because they're just not ready. They, they don't, they look at their lives, they don't know if they're ready. Uh, some people struggle with whether or not they believe they even know the Lord. Well, let me tell you, you can know for sure. You can have the assurance that you know Jesus. And, uh, and God's word is very clear about that. And that's why I encourage you to accept him as your Lord, as your Savior, and, and make him the priority of your life, okay? Um, there's a few reasons why, though, people could genuinely not look forward to the coming of Christ. One could be because they love the world too much. They're comfortable in their life. They've got plans. They like their lifestyle. They don't want anything to mess that up, even if it's the return of, of Christ in glory. And then, you know, of course, like I said, they, they just think it might mess them up. And let me just say, you know, that I understand this because when I was young, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I understood that whole thing. And that's not a lack of holiness or not wanting to see Christ come. That's just being human. That's just wanting to experience, you know, family and life and all of that. So there's nothing wrong with that. Just know that when Christ comes back, it will be so amazing and so awesome that there's absolutely nothing in comparison there, that you would trade for that, for the return of Christ and to be in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, okay? Not to mention, one of the things that I recently started thinking about was that Christ's return means an end to all of the pain and the suffering in this world. Like, we need him to set things right. I think about the children who are being trafficked in, in, uh, and abused in child sex trafficking and, and all of the abuse and the murder and the just all of the evil and wickedness in the world and and you know, children, people dying of hunger. And I think, Lord, come quickly. One more day is too long. And that's why I look forward to his return so that he will bring righteousness and he will set things right again. But there are many believers, pastors and churches today that give no time at all to studying and understanding prophecy. And many completely ignore it. And instead, uh, they teach, as I said, a type of kind of new age self-help doctrine. They're, they kind of act more like life coaches than they do pastors and shepherds. And look, y'all, the world needs the truth of God's word more than anything right now. And, and to offer anything other than the truth of God's word is to hand them poison. You need to hand them the truth. That's what they need desperately. So don't forget that. 
And that's, as churches, that's what we need to do. Uh, we also learn in Scripture that some become cynical. They become skeptical in believing uh, in the return of Christ. They say, well, man, my grandpappy was talking about that, and my great-grandpappy and my great-great-grandma, they all said Jesus was coming soon, and he's still not here yet. Well, the Bible talks about that exact mentality about being cynical and mocking and scoffing and making fun of it, making fun of believers who do look forward to Christ's return. And I, I want to encourage you not to be listed in that category of mocker, all right? The Bible has nothing good to say about mockers. And um, let me just read 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9 starting in verse three. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning of creation. Basically, it's the same cycle over and over and over again, right? For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. So, so, uh, Peter's doing something here, okay? He's pointing to the fact that there was once a different reality than the reality you know today. And that changed because of God's mighty hand. And then there was another reality and that changed because of God's mighty hand. And today we live in a reality and it too will change because of God's mighty hand. This is not the way things are always going to be. And we're wrong if we think that the way we live our lives today in the church uh, age is going to be the way it is from here on. And that's what Peter's pointing out here. He's saying it's been, they're saying it's been the same old, same old ever since the world began, right? But he's saying it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. That's creation. Verse six, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. So it was created by water. That was one reality. Then it was destroyed with water. That was another reality. And then the aftermath of all of that was again another reality. Verse seven, but by his word, the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire. He's saying that the heaven and earth that we live in today, it's reserved for fire in the future. It's going to be uh, cast into this refiner's fire and remade anew in, in, in this new Edenic type state. And that's what he's talking about here. It says, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Um, verse eight, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. Don't, don't look at time and say, man, uh, we've been talking about this forever and it hasn't happened, so it's probably not going to happen. Well, that's like saying, well, I haven't eaten lunch yet, so I'm probably never going to eat lunch. <laughs> you can't make judgments based on that. Um, but it's saying the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So again, just become just because it's be, it's been a long time in your estimation, don't judge the passing of time by your standard of time. Judge it by God's. To him, a thousand years as is as if one day. Okay. 
his motivation in all of this, we need to understand, is that none should perish. There are hearts and souls that he wishes to save. Those he knows that will be born, that will, that will love him and be with us forever in eternity. And that's his motivation, is that none should perish. So prophecy has this important purpose. It's always revolving around salvation and saving people. As early as one of the very first uh, prophecies in Scripture in Genesis 3, when it says that um, God told Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That is a prophecy about salvation, okay? Prophecy shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is in control and he always keeps his word. He cannot be outsmarted. He truly is the God who knows the end of the story from the beginning. And this sets our God apart from any other uh, false God, which are fallen spiritual beings posing as gods, okay? Remember what we read in a couple weeks ago that there is no Elohim beside Yahweh. There is no Elohim like the creator, the Elohim of Elohims. Only he holds the future and, and prophecy gives us this panorama of God's providential plan across time. And there is no graven image that can do that. That's why we have these these prophets and these other religions that try, but they never quite get it right, okay? Prophecy is unique to Christianity. Isaiah 42, 8 through 9. Isaiah 42, 8 through 9. Here's what God says. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to a graven image. Behold, the former things have come to pass, now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. So God's saying, this is how you know that it's from me, the creator of all, the king of kings, the, the God of all Elohim. This is how you know, because I declare it before it comes into being. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, it says, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. We've studied that verse recently. But God is again, he's saying, uh, one of the things that you know that it's coming from me is that I will declare the end from the beginning. And that's how we can go to the very first uh, word in scripture and see prophecy, the very first book of the Bible and see prophecy unfolding all throughout scripture as he declares the end from the beginning. Remember in Back to the Future 2, there's a slide for this, um, old Biff Tannen steals a gray sports almanac and he takes it back to the past and gives it to the young version of himself. And he says to young Biff, he says, you see this book? This book tells the future. It tells the results of every major sports event until the end of the century. So then young Biff takes the almanac and uses that information to his advantage, and he lives like a high roller winning bets across the decades to make himself a multi-millionaire. So he used that, that prophecy, that foretelling of future events to his own advantage. And, and prophecy works the same way for the believer. It's to be used for our advantage. 
We know the outcome of the entire thing. God's already told us, and you and I have nothing to fear. Isn't that encouraging this morning? So also, prophecy compels us to be prepared. In the imminency, knowing that he's going to return, Scripture tells us to be prepared. And of course, a lot of people get confused because they think the second coming is the rapture, or they think the second coming is the is the actual second coming. But there's there are two parts to the same thing. There's the rapture is the first part of the second coming. There's the return is the second part of the second coming. Okay, let's look at Mark 13, 34, as it's talking about the return in Mark 13, 34. It's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Verse 35, therefore be on the alert for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight or whether when the rooster crows or in the morning. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Keep alert and watch for the return, okay? And it's interesting how he uses all these different um, things like whether the rooster crows or it's in the middle of the night because, you know, we know in this uh, on this earth, for us, when it's nighttime, somewhere else in the world, it's daytime. So you really never know when he's going to return. Prophecy offers us three things, and we're going to close here pretty soon, but it offers us these three things. First, it comforts us in both the rapture and the resurrection, okay? It comforts us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, do what? <clears throat> but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the, as the rest who have no hope. So he's saying when, when your friends and loved ones pass away, you don't grieve like the lost world grieves. We have hope, all right? Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, listen what he says, comfort one another with these words. So prophecy brings us comfort. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, I want to point out that there are two different things that Scripture talks about. One is prophecy, and most of the time, almost all the time, it's, it's in reference to Israel and God's plan for Israel. And then Paul describes the age of grace and this church age as that of a mystery that was kept a secret but was then re revealed to him by Christ himself, okay? So prophecy is in reference to Israel and God's plan for Israel, while the mystery is in reference to the body of Christ and how that's going to unfold. And he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Take comfort in the fact that there is coming a day when the last enemy, death, will be done away with forever, when he will be put in his own grave and he will no longer take life. Uh, Second, prophecy in Revelation holds a blessing for every believer who studies it. In Revelation 1.3, Revelation 1.3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Third, there's a crown reserved for all who love his appearing. There's a crown reserved for all who love his appearing. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're looking forward to the return of Christ. God is actually going to reward those who love his appearing with a crown of righteousness. Look in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Why a crown of righteousness for loving his appearing? Because knowing Christ is coming back soon and looking forward to that encourages us to live in purity with urgency, fulfilling the great commission. It spurs you on to holy living and spreading the gospel, okay? And it promotes righteousness. Here's what I wanna say. May we be what the church to Philadelphia describes them as. So may we be like the Philadelphian, not a modern day Philadelphian. Let's not get that mixed up. Let's be a Revelation 3 Philadelphian. May we keep his word. May we know his word so that we may discern others who teach the word of God. And then may we live the word of God. And then of course, no matter what, may we never ever deny his name. All of these are the reasons why prophecy has a vital place in the body of Christ today. It has a purpose for you and I. So be bold and be courageous. Know that the imminent return of Christ is coming and that we have a job to do while we're here. And that's sharing the gospel and loving people, loving our brothers and sister, sisters, bearing one another's burdens, and and living lives that are set apart from the wickedness of this world. Uh, I'm often reminded of my grandmother, Thelma Gertrude Lefevre. She said to me, the good are getting gooder and the bad are getting badder. And folks, as time goes on, we will see that the, 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 the lines are being drawn and there will no longer be opportunity for people to hide in the shadows 
of the world and still pretend to be true Christ followers. I encourage you today to dig into the Word of God, to be faithful to your local church family, raise your kids to know Jesus and love Jesus and look forward to His appearing, and let's do what God's called us to do in this time that we have left, looking ahead as we pray together. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you.